Creativity is an extension of the human experience. This wild, boundless seascape has been our anchor for our friendship and our sanity. This podcast is an exploration between close friends of storytelling and artistic expression. In this chapter, we are going to explore the Netflix series The Witcher through the themes of monsters, magic, and myth. Mm. Before we take you there, let's talk about what personal mythology is like for us. Yes, and what it even is. And so originally, we were going to talk about movies, um, but it was kind of not really working out, I guess. I feel like it was just such a broad topic. But it seemed like <clears throat> The Witcher was coming up for us in conversation in general. Mm-hmm. And we realized that could be a cool episode to record. Um, and personal mythology was going to be kind of the container. And so um, what I think I mean when I say personal mythology is it's the myths and patterns that are the invisible threads of our lives. And in fact, I think we've identified that this is the invisible thread of the podcast. Um, mm. You know, myth and their role in our lives. Um, we both have certain films and stories that we align with. Some of us are some, have similar ones. You and me have similar mm-hmm. ones, but we also have different ones. Mm-hmm. The Witcher kind of encompassed all of them in one. Mm. So it felt like it made sense to cover that in one instead of all of the things we were talking about. It kind of like focused it more. What are the things that it encompasses? Well, <clears throat> I think it builds a world we can escape into. It explores the human condition, which we always talk about, um, mm. through the eyes of other cultures that are parallel to our own, that reference mm. our real ones, but are kind of in another world. And it also insinuates that myth and magic and monsters are actually kind of real. I have my own strange theories about that. Um, and plays with the idea that real is more than you think it is. So I think personal mythologies do a kind of dance with the creative stories and films humans create. And they're kind of an extension of ourselves. And so these stories that humans make, the film industry is making, um, they're as much a part of us as our limbs. It's kind Mm -hmm. of like medicine, what it means to be here Mm -hmm. on the planet. And then when we talk about them and we like, like we're about to do, um, it's kind of like joining us all together in the sacred conversation. It's just storytelling. Um, in an even larger scale because it's not just oral, it's like visual and, you know, epic. Immersive. Yeah. So yeah, that's my, that's my thoughts on that. I love that. And I, I couldn't agree more. I feel like movies are an added dose of reality because they are to some degree, the main delivery to my connection with myth now. Mm Mm-hmm. And I love that about our podcast that we discovered that this like myth and our delving and unearthing of myth is so much a part of the methodology of what we're doing. And I love that we're paying attention to these really special movies and thinking critically. I mean, you don't have to necessarily be doing this thought work when you're watching, but there's this opportunity for healing and processing. And throughout my journey with The Witcher, while I was watching it for the first time and watching it over and over and over again, Mm -hmm. I was taking notes and we were talking about it on text. And I was finding comfort in those personal mythology, those familiar themes that you were mentioning about love and magic and interdependence and 
elves and witches and dark worlds revealed and strange creatures. Yeah, and the, sorry, what were, gonna, what were you going to say? Uh, it's just all there yeah. in The Witcher. Yeah, it's all, all the things that I love. <laughs> and same with me. Um, and also, well, there's two thoughts I just had as you were talking. One of them was, you know, you said you don't have to, you know, bring all this to a film. And you don't, you know, you can take it at face value. But the thing I think, uh, sometimes I call it secret history, is that sometimes I don't think people realize what they're a part of because we don't talk mm-hmm. about it anymore. And so I think all the people we spend time with and speak to, even if they're not thinking of it, they'd be like, oh, yeah, for sure. But I think a lot of people don't realize that these ancient stories that humans have been weaving, it's happening now in an even more intense way. And maybe we don't realize why we do it, but we do because it's part of the fabric of being in our reality. So, yeah. um, And also the thing about The Witcher, when you're saying like magic and, you know, monsters and all these things um it's also has a modern like twist in it it's interesting it's like yep there's something a little modern about it and um in a very like very um surface way like the cursing like in like you'd see in like old school like if you're referencing an old culture that's like medieval times or something like lord of the rings you wouldn't imagine frodo like dropping the f-word in the middle of the the film but like in this it's this it's its own its own planet so kind of anything goes and i think there's something very powerful in that for sure Mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's interesting let's get into it let's get into it all right um so we are going to begin by invoking the spirit of the bard the song and story of our tale is sometimes dark sometimes complex And it has deep resonance on many levels. The magic contained within the series of The Witcher is a moving tale, or a song, at times sung by our bard, of monsters, myth, and magic. Well, let us begin by explaining to those of who may not know, what is The Witcher? It started out as a series of six fantasy novels and 15 short stories written by Polish author and uh, Andrzej Sapowski. Witchers are humans that have been genetically mutated by magic and are powerful warriors that hunt monsters. And there are so many monsters. Mm-hmm. With a worldwide cult following, they've been translated into 37 languages and sold half a billion copies. And they've been adopted into film, two television series, several video games, and two comic book series. And the video games are incredibly popular and innovative in their own right. But it's the Netflix series that has really captured the hearts of Pixie and myself. And that's what we'll be basing our discussion on. So I'm sorry to the fans who are um, really keen to talk gaming. Maybe another episode because I have been playing Witcher 3. Um, But we'll start with that. Yes. And I think that if we turn back to our bard, in this case, Yaskir, we may ask him. Yes, here. Yes. What are your songs about? Hmm. My songs, oh, they be of tales, both triumph and woe, concerning monsters and men. But who am I to say which is which? So, let us begin. (laughs) (laughs) Woohoo! Oh, yes, (laughs) here. Let's talk about bards. 
Yeah. What are they? I, uh, there's an interesting history with bards. I mean, we usually think of the Celtic origin, both in the word and the role, but it's existed for many centuries, as seen in India. Bot is their term. But the purpose remains the same. They're semi-employed by lords, upper-class chiefs, and they tell heroic tales. And in medieval Ireland, bards were of two distinct groups, um, poets and filly. And they were kind of more of the um, psychics and like uh, foreseers into the future. Mm -hmm. But bards are kind of more of a, they're like a different class. I think when I think of bard, I think of like a vagabond, like a working class kind of wandering around. And this is who our bard is in The Witcher. Um, and we're talking about Yaskir, not Dandelion. And what's interesting about this is that Sapkowski's original character is Yaskir, but the mm. Polish translation is buttercup or like a flower <laughs> that's like a buttercup, like a yellow flower. But the game was like, we're not calling him buttercup. We'll do another yellow flower dandelion. That's <laughs> but, hilarious. I know. But um, what's so cool about the bard as as role and character in relation to this to the series is that fact and fiction overlap mm -hmm. he's a musician himself mm -hmm. and he wrote the lyrics for burn witcher burn mm. and um you've got this incredible collection of songwriters and composers you've got um joseph Chapanese who did the uh composing for burn witcher burn for season two mm. but then jenny klein did the lyrics for toss a coin mm. and that was composed by sonia belusifa and giona ostellini and i mean this whole realm of music was so successful. Mm. Toss a Coin debuted at number one on Billboard's rock song sales and iTunes' top soundtrack songs. I mean, we're talking about a cohort of musicians and modern-day storytellers who have created the shot to fame, shot to success mm -hmm. through the delivery of a tale accompanied by a bard. It's just it's reality is fiction and fiction is reality in this case. And I mean, Yasker is a great character. I just, he's so great. And I love how kind of we've talked about in past how he's kind of um, bisexual in nature, mm -hmm. that he has this like intense love for Geralt. Mm -hmm. That is like a bit interesting. More than just friends. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but he's also kind of like this lusty, um, romantic mm -hmm. who falls in love with a woman every month or so. Yeah. And and he's he's our delivery of the world. We get to see how the exchange of a bard for infamy works. So Yaskir builds up the reputation of Geralt and he can just as easily kind of turn him into infamy as well because Burn Witcher Burn is like a, a breakup song. Yeah, and he's almost like his agent or his like you know he has like his guide through the world like you said he can change how people see him he can change how the witcher mm -hmm. is seen in any community he's in um, yeah i mean Geralt's just so hesitant to be like highly visible in any stretch of the imagination and and yet you know like there's that moment where he starts um writing or you know figuring out toss a coin and like Yaskir's voice just kind of booms through the canyons and you see Geralt's face kind of pondering and listening and absorbing and you know this is a this is a character who knows magic and he can see that Yaskir is building a magical experience 
And that's what song is, right? It's it's larger and more magical than the mundane aspects of life. And he's like, oh, fuck, this guy's going to have to hang out with me now because he's really fucking good. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know what it is. Like, I was listening. I'm one of those people that listened to that song over and over and over again. And like, I don't want to say it's a show, a show tune because it's not, but it has that like flair of like mm-hmm. something from a play or something. Um, and when you listen to the, I'm looking at the lyrics now, and when you're listening to the lyrics, they suggest all these deeper things we know from watching the stories. And you know, some of it's exaggerated and some of it's true. And there's like a lot of emotion in that. Like, um, you could, you had to be there to know what happened. Also, like bards tend to be like made fun of in cultural, like, um, like video games, for example, like a video game I played, if you wanted to be a bard, it was kind of a joke and everyone made fun of you. But like you mm-hmm. were saying about Yaskir, which I love is that, you know, don't piss him off. Like he has, a, he may be, he may seem like jovial, but like he's also an adventurer and he's, he's, you know, recording what's going on. He's recording, he's a historian yep. and like yep. he has a certain kind of power and he also has a lot more talent than you, you know? So yeah. like it's a, and, and then of course, like when you're talking about fiction and reality, in our last episode, we spoke about music and like musicians are bards. They're observing the world and they're telling stories. So it's a powerful, powerful um, tool, a powerful um, means of telling the story. He's very important. Exactly. Yeah. And he oscillates between being the fool mm-hmm. and being the mastermind. Yeah. And I love that. Yeah. But, you he, know, he's both sides of the coin for yeah. for what bards could be. They can be the, the village idiot. They can be the jester. But then also they are artists. Well, and take them seriously. Yeah, I mean, I even ha- got a little defensive of him when you said the fool because, like, I think he's like whimsical, and like he isn't actually a fool. Now, granted, in that part where he, archetypally, archetypally, yeah. fool, like as in you know, like yeah. the 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 person who seems to be so out of touch sure. of you know serious reality sure. that they become infanti- infantile or like well, you know not taken seriously. And then if you look at that part where he's like mocking well not mocking but like joking around with Geralt and trying to be funny but the gin gets released and it totally screws up his voice you know like that's where he could have like put on the brakes a little bit but that's what you love about him because he's kind of like he's adventurous and like he's whimsical he's yep he's interesting and what philosophers know about the fool archetype is that they tend to be the wisest of all of us they ultimately do yeah yeah agreed so oh we love him I think Yasker is a great kind of um entry into the witcher world but what's most important in the witcher world are the monsters am i right yes and just like this is our main theme like if we think about monsters myth and magic monsters are like a big part of the witcher but then within monsters there's also like the concept of distortion Mm -hmm. of what is a monster Mm -hmm. what that even means and i don't think we always i don't want to say i don't think we always use it in the right way but that's debatable Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. So, you know, who is deemed a monster and why? We can list all of the characters that kind of were kind of, we view as monsters that we didn't think they were, but they turned out to be. So, like, I'll just start out with Nivellin, um, because I was very drawn to that story. Um, it was the man who was kind of, I think he was cursed. Oh, to interesting. Look, like, He's almost like the Beauty and the Beast guy. Yes. Right? The boar. Yeah. And I, when I first um, was introduced to him, I loved him. He was one of my favorite characters. He was so jovial and he was so 
um, kind and like kind to Siri. And it just, and they liked his relationship with Geralt and it was just very sweet. And then as you go through the episode, you find something's wrong and then you realize, um, you know, you realize there's a few things wrong. There's here, a right? lot of things wrong. I mean, there's this, <laughs> there's this creature living there. That's Verena. Verena. Um, it's her nature to be what she is. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, you know, his history, his past is that he committed rape and yeah. he, you know, and I think he has remorse about it. Wasn't he like bullied to do it? If I remember the story, right. He was egged on to do it or something like that. I mean, it doesn't make it right, but it's like, it, here is where we're saying like, is he a monster or not? Is he distorted? You know, has he become distorted by making a very bad choice, which I think in some yeah. ways haunts him. Um, and, and Verena says, um, you know, I know who you're with, you know, she's talking to Siri and she's saying like, you're with a monster killer um, right? and he might come after you. You know, she's right. insinuating that a witcher is only good for one thing and they don't have the capacity to investigate whether or not they should kill or not. Yeah. And the thing that's so ironic and so amazing about the story is that Geralt is viewed as one too. He's a monster mm-hmm. killer, but he is viewed as a monster as well. Um, depending on people's needs at the time, he's used. He's used constantly, and so, um, and so you know. And then I'll just jump into the big one, which is Yennefer. So, like, I don't know if the show intends to suggest that potentially she could be one. I mean, I think she's treated as one multiple times throughout the story. Um, in the beginning, when she's not quote beautiful. She's treated right. like that. She starts. She starts out as deformed. Yes, crooked spine, locked jaw. Yep. And she's treated uh, like lower than an animal. Uh, yeah. And in a personal way, watching that story, I was drawn in it immediately because I saw myself in her. I think any young woman can see themselves in her because you go through, even if it wasn't that extreme. When you're in school, you're always comparing yourself to others. And that's a brutal time, a brutal world. And um, it's when you learn how cruel humans can be to each other. Mm -hmm. And then because of that experience and then how she's kind of dragged into, kind of basically sold by her father into the magic world. And she's once again treated with this harsh, I I don't want to say love, but like, harsh love hard love i guess even though i hate that that phrase um by tesea and she kind of her perspective i think gets broken i you know i feel monstrous patterns breed monstrous patterns it's a cyclical Mm. event and so because of the way culture is in this world which is not that different from our own tesea knows what Yennefer needs right to survive so she treats her that way so she knows how and is to say a monster well she's a distortion of healthy mothering it's the only way she can survive and she knew that was the only way Yennefer could survive so we have at the end of all of this quick summary of her upbringing she's formidable she's liberating and she's sad like in the sense that like she has to kind of be the way she is to survive she hasn't in a lot of ways she doesn't have a choice Um, yeah, if she, for example, if she stayed ugly, she'd always be treated with contempt when she made the choice to, to like forego a part of herself, the ability to give birth in order to be heart stoppingly beautiful. She's judged for that too. 
and um and you know probably condemned and you know what a monster she did that to herself to be that way how dare she you know um she couldn't win and it's the same in the real world you know women have to fit this certain way and if they do it one way they're scorned as like being prude if they do it another way they're too loose they're you can't ever just be a human you have and so to me that's what she represented and um I don't agree yeah. with all the things, right? I don't agree with all the things Jennifer does, but I think um, she had to kind of like make her own rules in order to do what she needed to do. Um, I think she had she betrays and hurts people for her goals, but sure. Um, at the same time, I think I don't know. I think in some ways. And I don't agree with this all the time, but I think monsters are truth and resistance. And I think sometimes monsters have to exist because they're the only way out. Um, I know that sounds like weird, but um, depends on the situation. So I don't think she's a monster at all, but I think people view her as one because of a definitely Struggabore. He's definitely Struggabore. Right? We need to talk about that. Yeah. Can you? Yeah. Yeah. What's his I mean, deal? what's interesting about him is that he's convinced that, you know, he's obsessed with this black sun curse. Right. You know, um, women, it's very interesting that it's only women that were born during yeah. this black sun. Um, and he thinks that they're deformed, therefore monstrous, and right. um, he is obsessed. He is obsessed. And there's there's aspects to his kind of obsession and 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 um pursuit of these women, these deformed, monstrous women that has to do with his own, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, deformity. Like mm -hmm. he's, he's been, he has been injured and a part of him has been taken from him. And so a part of it's vengeance. And he's really, really obsessed with this idea that the, the dark goddess that's going to rain death and blood on, onto Kings again, were, really as women you and i are listening to this guy's language that mm -hmm. he is obsessed with women who want to destroy men mm -hmm. and we're thinking of like there's the monstrous distortion mm -hmm. strand right there yeah. women that are non-compliant or uh, <clears throat> or adjacent to death and destruction but it's only women you know yeah <laughs> and you know, i love it that we are talking about monsters and yet we haven't even brought up any of like the slavic style monsters we are really talking about humans distorting the idea of what is a monster right which is what the witcher is all about right. like <laughs> that's why we love it and that's why we're doing this yeah because it's <laughs> and and also remind me because i'm not sure he was wounded do you mean like metaphorically yeah, or he, he lost his hands oh, in a battle i totally like forgot about that did he have yeah. fake hands or something they're part of his illusion because oh, he's like right. age he of makes that of illusion. Oh, so he makes up his hands, but he's, he, and he's, he's really convinced that it's his job to figure out it's only a certain, it's a finite amount of women that were born under, and they're all of royal blood. And he's looking for essentially a blood curse, which is interesting because there is a blood curse in The Witcher, but he's looking for um, royal women Siri, um, that are deformed. Them. Yeah. And Siri, one of them, technically? No, she wasn't born under the Black Sun. Oh, okay. So um, Renfri, the very first character we see I remember her. in The Witcher, yep. she's a product of you know being singled out as someone who was born under the Black Sun who has some violent-like behavior. And they totally fuck this up, right? Like the, the queen mother 
um, decides that Renfrey's a problem, a violent child. And so, and she was also born into the black sun. So then she st- sticks Stregerborg up, you know, to get her. And it goes, it's a botched assassination job, basically. Right. The man who takes her out to the woods. It's a very Snow White story. Yeah, like, you're right. Man, a, a hunter takes her out, out the woods, decides to kill her, but he doesn't kill her. He rapes her. And then she becomes even more violently. I mean, like, whatever. A woman being born in a royal household probably has been exposed to violence, a oh, high yeah. level of violence. So whether she was a product of her environment and yeah. became monstrous because of that. Well, guess what, Stregobor? You just made an even more violent monster because she is out and she is doggedly determined to destroy him. And then Geralt comes in and he's faced with his first challenge. Yep. The lesser of two evils, as as they say, you know, yeah. kill this person or kill this person. <laughs> like and say then- no, say yes. We have a monster for you. And that whole fight at the end with her and having to, we're going to have to make sure we write spoiler alert. I mean, I would assume everyone's watched it by now, but like when he kills her at the end, like that was a tragic moment. Um, yeah. Because it was yeah, he complicated. did not. He did not want to. He did kill not want to kill her. He, she wasn't going to stop. No, she was a product of her environment, just like Jennifer is. And um. If you don't mind, I want to circle back again because there was another thing I wanted to mention about her, which is another crossover into the real world and fantasy where we have Mm -hmm. – she has this deformity. And I think we learned that she didn't have that in the books originally, which I didn't know. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out – It's there's so much fandom um, commentary out there. And one particular fan base um, mentioned that Sapowski's original – short stories mm-hmm. didn't have Yennefer as deformed. Mm. Um, but what might be, what might've happened is in some of the longer form novels, she got beefed up into another character that was deformed. But it's interesting to think of um, what kind of character Yennefer would have been if she had just been brought to us as uh, the most powerful sorceress in in the world. Right. I mean, without having had to have been gone through that. fixed. Well, you know, there's some serious ableism going on here. For sure. There is. So like, here was my feeling on it. So initially, what I loved was that for the first few episodes, we get to see Yennefer purely as she is. We get to see her power, her power, like how powerful she is. We get to see her fall in love and make love with some her first love, which that's a sad way that ends. But, you know, they show that. And like, there's so many times in film and movies where we as human beings, when we write, it's like the ugly duckling becomes beautiful. But like, Mm-hmm. Was the ugly duckling really ugly or did we just decide that that's the standard? And I was a little annoyed that they changed it. Like I was like, why yeah. can't, why couldn't she be the most badass, powerful witch and still look like yeah. that? Cause I thought she looked beautiful either way. Um, now I think it adds to the character and I think it works and I think it makes her character even more deep and more interesting and visceral to experience. So, you know, I, I'm going with it, but I'm just making the statement could society let her be the amazing woman she was? without becoming the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. I you know what yeah. I'm saying? Like that that's it speaks a, to the question. mechanisms yeah. of patriarchy. Right. That these um the school of elite mages right. have to be transformed into beautiful beings to be able to exist in the upper realms of royalty and and power. Like the upper echelons of power have their own standard of beauty and they have to be transformed in order to go into that realm of power. Right. It's, it's an, it's whether it's right or wrong, we have a mirror of yeah. society as it is. Yeah. And, and again, I, I do feel 
though, that it was well done because by the time she does transform, we see her, all the parts of her. She's loving. She's caring. She's cunning. She's very smart. She like she stands up for herself because she has to. She she's a very amazing person. And some of like the dark parts of her, the shadow sides of her, they are pure survival. She has to play the game and she's never had a choice. So she has to play the game, you know. And so when she kind of scorns and turns down and I'm blanking on his name, her. Yep. Mistred, who I love. He's a very sweet man Um, and really saw her for who she was and helped her become herself. Although I did understand her compulsion to be like, no, I'm not doing sitting quietly in the corner. I want to go out. I want to do my thing. I can relate to that, you know? And so like she, <laughs> she's a really, um, oh, there's so many parts of her that just moved me so deeply. She's a really important person. And and again, we're, we, we haven't really even talked about a real, like you said, Slavic monster. I would say she's distorted, but seen as a monster by others. Once again. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And we, um, just to, to play to the people who love the Witcher game, the opening part of Witcher three is you see uh, a priest talking to a crowd mm. about the the dangers of this world. There's monsters, mm-hmm. and witchers are monsters, and the only thing that's going to save you is um, is church. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, hello, <laughs> we have now set up the the social awareness that the really monstrous part of humanity is this kind of propaganda of fear and hate yep. and and destruction. And you you are only going to be safe if you comply to these rules, you know, to the patriarchal church rule. Yes. And we should also quickly, you know, pull in the Striga because that's the other creature that, am I saying it right? Striga? Or is it Striga? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Striga. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. this creature that was born from an incestual situation in that royal family and she's terrifying, but she's there's a curse put on her, and like out of revenge. And yeah, they were trying. They were hiring girls to kill the striker. Yes, but another another product of a product of a choice someone else made. A man, by yeah, the way. Yeah, yeah. And um, there's that's not a coincidence. You know, we're, we're talking about how we we tell stories about other people and paint them in this oh, certain so way great. but you need to know it's more oh so great yeah like it's the first episode it's a good one that we get that the witcher the netflix witcher is gonna take some of these topics head on like it's that first mm-hmm. glimpse of we are not gonna sidestep any of the subtleties mm-hmm. um we have been brought up in a storytelling realm that dictates um you know the delivery of some of these stories are come from beware children, mm-hmm. um, there's dangers outside or, um, you know, the a delivery of an emotional experience through storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, and the witcher is going, some of this is a, is a direct reference to how monstrous humanity is. Yes. And, um, Geralt is this incredible, um, ethical killer who's like, you know what? Like she's not a monster. This Strega is not a monster. I am going to do my, I'm going to go to a near death experience to keep her alive so yeah. that this curse can be lifted. It's an amazing episode. And and even in the beginning when he kills a Kikimura and um, the the Marilka um, little girl says, well, we don't need a Kikimura to be killed. They're population control. So even like, even like the traditional monster monsters have their purpose within 
this world, right? I'm going to go here for a second. And you're going to laugh. But like, for example, they changed uh, Yaskier's name to Dandelion and like dandelions are viewed as in like the herbal world, like in modern society as like a pest, but they're actually really good for you and used for all sorts of medicine. I'm just saying like, they're, <laughs> you know, dan- yeah, so dandelions are monsters. Everything. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Distortion. Distortion. That's the that's the real thematic of monsters. Um, it's all relative. Yeah. It's all based on what you're trying to get out yeah. of this. Exactly. And and we can just like slide right into Baba Yaga because it's the deathless mother. Is she a monster? Yes. So the whole realm of the Witcher is is Polish, right? Yeah. Um and it's it's Slavic in origin, so like a lot of the monsters and a lot of the characters are born out of that world. And that's kind of why The Witcher is so powerful, is that um, we know some of these histories. Mm-hmm. We know the Deathless Mother. We know Baba Yaga, the the woman in a hut in the woods. Mm-hmm. That is so ingrained it is. in our psyche. I don't even realize that it is, but it is. Yeah. So, Bobby, go yes, tell us about the Baba Yaga character, the Deathless Mother. Baba Yaga, I mean... So I'm just going to say this because it's important. I just saw this amazing film today. Um, the Banshees of Inish. I'm going to something like that. I'm not going to say it wrong. Um, it's the beginning of the right word and it's a location in Ireland. And there was a Bobby Yaga character in that. Um, it's and I just was like struck by how I knew we were recording today. And I was like, she's everywhere. She's in all stories. Um, and there's no way he didn't realize that. I mean, there's no way the writer didn't realize that she's the old woman in the woods. Um, and Hansel and Gretel, Hansel and Gretel. Yeah. The cannibalistic witch, cannibalistic witch, or she seduces you or she bribes you or she grants you favors. Yeah. She kind of is a mirror to you. Um, Mm -hmm. and she's feminine to me personally, (laughs) to you personally and me. (laughs) She's also probably a part of us in our own psyche. Um, and she exists in a multitude of cultures, Egypt, um, Africa, many, many others. Like there's a version of her in like every culture. And she was spoken about by Carl Jung. I mean, she's a part of our psyches. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, yeah, we said Snow White, we said Red Riding Hood, Hansel and Gretel. I mean, I guess the wolf isn't a witch, but I think it's similar trope. Um, and there's even an uh, East of the Sun and West of the Moon, which is one of my favorite stories. And there are three women in three huts that help her, the woman, along her way. Um, and there is another story by Juliet, the author who wrote Daughter of the Forest, the version of the Seven Swans that we talked about, that uh, there's this magical event that happens in the woods. So she is kind of who you make her to be or what you need at the mm-hmm. time. And you end up choosing what to do. So in The Witcher... Yeah. She comes to the three characters. She comes to she Jennifer. She finds their, their greatest pain, and, right? Yeah. She hones in on what they truly want. Yeah. She goes to, um, trying to remember their names. Um, she goes to Frangilla. She goes to Jennifer. And the elf queen. Remind me of her name. Francesca. Francesca. And she kind of is like, what do you think? And I find it awesome that Yennefer is like, I know what you're doing, back off. But the other two are like, I'm using this strategically. I think Fringilla knows, but she kind of like is like, I'm going to kind of go with it. But um, the Elf Queen's like, whatever, I'm using this. This is what I'm doing. And I don't know if you can judge them. I don't, you know, I don't know. I don't even know if you can. All I know is she presents them with information and they decide. They choose. Yeah. Yeah. And 
can we use the word evil? No, she's a tornado. She's a trickster. She's described as a trickster. And I'm going to link um, a really great article I found about Baba Yaga um, in our show notes because... Oh, it's such a good it's article. It's a really good article. And uh, I think she's important. I mean, she's nature. She's part of our uh, the Very core much. of us. She's important. And because they've got that chant, you know, hut, hut, turn hut, your hut, back to... Yeah turn your back to the forest, turn your face to me. Like this invocation of this deeply, deeply known story. Yes. It's that, this is what makes Sapowski such a good storyteller. He's a really good storyteller, I know. (gasps) And I love the episode. I thought it was beautifully done and it was just, it got me really thinking about it. And so a few quick references, things to think about. A lot of times she eats those she's encounters. Um, it's mm-hmm. like, for me, that's like the fear of female energy. Um, this is unbridled emotion. I just thought it was interesting that that's a trope in a lot of stories. She's transformative. So like, if you look mm-hmm. at each of these characters in The Witcher, whatever they choose to do leads, leads to transformation. Um, but she's also been viewed as an earth mother. And think about the earth. The earth, a lot of times, does pretty violent things. Um, but mm-hmm. it leads to transformation, right? A lot of Mm -hmm. times she's the villain, but she's actually, like I keep saying, a trickster who leads to transformation. And also she's been linked with the Greek goddess Persephone. I mean, there's a lot of like uh, pathways through and around this this part of us. Women are often linked to um, death ritual and and the the practice of being subsumed back into death. Yeah. um, And then to be rebirthed. This is like a very feminine realm. Yes. And it can be really freaking scary, therefore easily demonized. And that leads to, exactly, we're still in that monster's distortion area. And still, we haven't really talked about a monster, ironically enough. And I think that's the whole point. Um, She's a rupture that's scary for people. She'll decompose everything. She's our truth and revolution and evolution. And so um, I think that the fact that she's a woman it's used in a negative way a lot of times in a patriarchal way, in a patriarchal manner from that perspective. Um, and I think, see, like women are crazy. You hear that a lot. You hear that a lot in the real world. Um, but it's actually that people can't handle the reality of life. That sounds pretty scathing. Um, but I think I'm right. <laughs> um, I think that yeah. she represents this energy that we're afraid of, but it's part of being alive. Um, and also, Absolutely. right. And I also was, when I was thinking about this, I was thinking about the cultural development of her being an ugly, huge, terrible being. That was like a quote from something I read and it contributes to the strange fear of women, um, and religion, you know, Eve in the garden, all this stuff. It feels like in it's like Baba Yaga is proof that women are unpredictable. And like I said, crazy, but the thing is men have great power to create and destroy too. This is just the feminine, you know, version of the trickster. Um, and so if it's distorted and again, distortion is a big part of this theme when male and female energy is distorted, the trickster feminine is amplified. I think through energetic release, it's like total liberation and it's a heady brew when we get liberated. And so we've had to conform to things we never signed up for. And I was thinking about all kinds of things, storming the tower, ripping off the hijab, you know, all the things we've been going through with the rights to our bodies. Like when these energies are distorted, yeah, that energy might become a little scarier than you thought. But like 
everything, there's an ebb and a flow to this. You can't just blame one thing. And I think I'm making sense. <laughs> you are. But um, the the kind of blending from our themes, if we think about monsters, myth, and magic being our themes mm-hmm. um, to carry us through this container of the Witcher. Yeah. Monsters, the way that Sapowski um, activates many of the monsters, they're pulled from the folklore mm-hmm. of of European traditions. Yeah. And so if we think about what some of those traditions are, we we deliver those through myths, through storytelling. Yeah. And so with within monsters, you've got that as like a a way to like evoke fear, yeah. evoke curiosity, evoke um a light and a dark. Yeah. What other tropes within myths do we often find? Right? Yes. Is it okay if I go into the next kind of a little bit within myth? Yes. Um, before we do, I just want to close down. So at the end of this, you know, we have this like, we explore, you know, this feminine energy. Um, do you have any other thoughts before we move on about like how that links to like our time now in politics or in the world? Oh, I think you did a great job. Okay. Um, I think you did a great job and you'll see the kind of repeating of patterns yeah. continuing if yeah. we don't. Um, try to evolve. And I think what we're seeing is is an evolution of how we're actually going to look at darkness, Yes, how we're going to look at death, and how we're going to look at women. Yeah, I agree. And yes, yeah. um, you know, moving on from monsters, we are talking about destiny. Yes. So this is the whole premise of The Witcher as we know it, is, is this um, destiny-like um, law, the law of surprise. The law And of this surprise. is really... It's fascinating because if you look at that as a mythic trope, to promise something in the future for the thing that you want to gain now, Mm -hmm. there's always tragic consequences to that. Yeah. (laughs) So it's interesting to me because it's it's ever so slightly different than what I was contemplating when I took on the idea of destiny, first off. Yeah. So, you know, let's start with what is the power of destiny? Is it destiny of itself or is it the person that changes the course of the world for its desire to control its own destiny Mm. and what are the consequences of avoiding your predetermined fate i mean i get why Geralt distrusts a set of rules that determines what he's supposed to do but he's he's haunted by the thought of somebody needing him this child surprise that's promised to him he can't sleep he's running from his fated child Mm-hmm. And that's that haunting. Who hasn't felt that? Yeah, I have. And so, the term "child surprise." This I love that term. It reminds me of changelings. Cute. Yeah, yeah. It's like a child that's born out of magic, yeah. not ordinary circumstance. Yeah. So the law of surprise is is an exchange law. It's there's also this sense of destiny, this inevitable fate mm-hmm. you can't run from. It, it ties him to her. And what's interesting is. Within destiny, the thematic of destiny, within this legend, this Witcher legend, there is a destined curse that's carried from blood, bloodlines, a particular bloodline, right? This is what Ciri's bloodline is. It's a curse that was um, placed by an elven queen who fell in love with a human man and it went horribly wrong. And so she hid in, in her genetic code in her family bloodline a a being so tapped into source, so powerful 
that it would wreak vengeance and it would manifest in her birth. There was nothing that anyone could do. It was going to come out. And that's what we have. We have the arrival of Siri. And so the richer, the richer, you know, the, the Netflix witcher is all about what is, what is Siri? She doesn't know what she is. We don't really know what she is, but we know that there's like this insane chain, this linked events of law surprises. So Dooney and um, Pavetta are linked together through the law of surprise because Pavetta's father saves Dooney's life. And he says, you know, promise me that which you do not know you have. And Pavetta's father returns to find that his wife is pregnant. And he's like, well, fuck, (laughs) I didn't know she was pregnant. And now my child is promised to this rando. And it's the exact same thing when Gerald is like flippantly like, oh, I'll just take on your traditions. Give me that which you do He's not like, know. whatever. And little did anyone know, yeah. fucking Pavetta is pregnant. <laughs> so we have this, this link, this thread-like link that connects everyone because of the law of surprise. But then you also have underneath that this destined blood curse. Hmm. And this brings me into like kind of what I was intending to discuss with Destiny, which is there's there's three arms to when you want to talk about what is destiny and what is free will. So you've got like this kind of supernatural destiny, this fatalistic, um, I can't do anything, it's it's the gods. Why why have why have my crops burned to the ground and why has my wife left me? Well, the gods hate me, that's why. That's fatalist destiny. Yeah, I don't and like it's the opposite. It's the opposite of free will. No matter what you do, if the gods hate you, they hate you. Yeah. There's, and this is what forms our personal mythology because the belief yeah. in whether we have control of our actions and therefore circumstances, it's not something we can prove. It just drives us. Hmm. You know, and modern day um, investigation on free will versus fate is happening all the time. And we look at it determinalism is even less free will because it's saying, okay, well, there's no such thing as gods, but there is such a thing as a a natural law, patterns that we can't even see, the the things that govern the stars, the things that govern life and matter and quantum physics. There's a complexity to that that we can't see, but it determines how everything plays out. So, I mean, even scientists, you know, try to prove whether or not anything that we do makes any bit of difference, but it's our personal mythology that allows us to either buy into that or not. I personally have to believe that everything that I do is my choice. Well, yeah. <laughs> That's I, the only way I'm going to stay sane. I don't know about you. What do you think? I, just listening to you talk, like, this was a hard one for me when I was thinking about it. Just I knew you were working on this section, but I was thinking about how I really hate the idea. I don't believe in fate. I, w- I do believe in energy trails or patterns, familial energy, you know, things that mm. that we are descendant from and that we're mm. always working in collaboration with the gods or other energy other creatures other forces in the world mm-hmm. to make the these patterns the best versions of themselves mm-hmm. i feel mm-hmm. very strongly that that's something but your choices make a difference and if you yeah. and if you make a different choice it doesn't write it you made a little you made another you put another um, stitch in the weaving or another, you know, you weaved another, you know, part of it and the next step will try and write it again. It's this constant, slow, gentle, like writing of imbalance. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
It's fascinating. So, dear listener, we don't necessarily have an answer for you, but an invitation for you to, <laughs> to think, think about, about it. Yeah. What, what, what's your opinion on free will? So that's that's part of the myth of, of things is that it gives you this opportunity to think about what how you feel about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But I, you know, just in closing I, of that, I do want to say that, like, I always strongly reject, reject so strongly. Um, I have no control because I think that's the fatal flaw of religion. It's like, well, I don't have any control. It's God's will or whatever. It's like, no, I make my own fate. And I say that all the time. And that's why I don't believe in, like, black cats or any of that crap it's like no i make my own luck i make my own fate i don't believe in that shit so it like actually well, makes me angry <laughs> like i don't like it belief is interesting yeah, because it? yeah it has power so if you believe something is going to happen to you mm-hmm. good chance you're making all the unconscious moves towards that destiny yeah it's interesting anyways so that's that's one part of myth that i love the other interesting um, component of the myth that lies within the Witcher is this idea of conjunction yes. of the spheres. Yes. It's why we have the world of the Witcher, that one world of monsters mm-hmm. um, uh, had a conjunction moment with this other world. And so elves were the indigenous um, beings of this world, and then potentially another sphere conjo- conjoined, and then men came and dwarves, and um, you know that's one conjunction Mm -hmm. and then we have um you know monsters coming through portals and i mean oh my god can we just talk about how much you and i fucking love portals i mean that's that's (laughs) our whole like logo (laughs) for our podcast like it's what we're talking it's a portal yeah and all of our favorite stories like the dark crystal Mm -hmm. have a moment and they call it the great conjunction yeah and the his dark materials, Philip Pullman's golden compass is all about portals. Exactly. Exactly. It's realms on top of realms. We're realm. pretty obsessed multi- with it. <laughs> this is like a multiverse theory. It is multiverse. That's what, that's what Philip Pullman is doing. But what's interesting is that like um, conjunction of spheres or of worlds, you could see that in, in, in indigenous cultures yeah. as well. Um, where like multiple beings kind of overlap and all of a sudden you've got beings from this world hanging out with beings of this world. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this new age spirituality that we exist in now, we've got what, like Palladians, Atlanteans, um, Avalon. Lemuria. Yeah. yeah. So we, this is in stories and in our everyday life. I mean, I hang out with people that talk about being Palladian. So I am casting zero shade on this. It's very fascinating. I'm not casting me. shade either because there's something about it that resonates, but I can't put my, I can't put words to it very often. Although Interstellar, Interstellar did a good job of it personally, I felt. But yeah. Yes. And they're talking about space-time yes. um, relativity, yeah. which is so the theory. You've got this, the scientific theory, <laughs> yeah. the scientists out there trying to figure out what is conjunction, what is space-time, yeah. what is the unification of all. So you've got, in, in astrological terms, conjunction is just the, the meeting, yeah. the close meeting of two bodies. Um, we can handle that. that's about that's about as much physics as i can get into i am having a very difficult time trying to understand the physics of of quantum theory and string theory but there's an opportunity there within uh myth which is an ancient and storytelling is as ancient as humanity and we've been trying to figure this out yeah since day dot we've been exploring it in all of our fantasy i mean lord of the rings i think does it um there's multiple realms that are kind of, con- you know, joining together to fight a being from another realm. I mean, in a way, 
Yeah. I mean, I just... Although that's like good and evil almost. It is. Like it's, it's kind of religio. It is, but I kind of took it to another place because I see a similarity. So yeah, I mean, I think humans have always been trying to like put their finger on what time is and where we exist and where the heck we are and why. I mean, we're in this huge, mysterious void. Every Now we know like every, apparently every galaxy has a supermassive black hole at the center of it. What does that mean? You know, like I go to the fantasy realm and I'm like, yeah, they say you die in there, but maybe it takes you to the other version. Maybe it takes you to the exactly. other. I, I always fantasize about that. This is where I'm, I get weird and I, you know, I, I recognize that, but I'm excited about the next season um, to see what's going to happen with all of these portals and to see what yeah. happens with Siri. It's going to be really epic. Yeah. Because at the end of season two, we're, um, we, we understand that the wraiths are elf like dead elves that are trying to get back to their etheric land. Mm-hmm. You've got the Baba Yaga character who is actually from another land. Another oh yeah. Portal she's as well. she's planet. trying to get back. Yeah. You know, and Siri is this incarnate portal, you know, yeah. she's this key that has the power, the source like power to open up different realms. Um, so those are our mythic conversations. We've got convergence of spheres. We've got um, destiny and law of surprise. Yeah. So we've covered monsters. Cover monsters. We've covered myth. We've covered myth. And let's get into magic <laughs> for the last little bit. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's going to be like a little bit of a shorter analysis than some of our other juicier stuff because um, obviously you and I are both obsessed with Yennefer and um, the Dark Goddess. So yeah. we spent a lot of a lot of time on that. But um, and that is magic. But what is magic, right? Yeah. Yennefer talks about it in a beautiful way and I want to quote her. Remember what you have, magic, lodged inside of you like a spiked arrow. It wounds you deeply, but it's a strange sort of pain combined with bliss. Trust me, it's all you'll ever need. It's everything. Mm. And she's saying that to Siri because Yennefer lost her magic. So the wound, the, the, the arrow is taken out of her she's empty again right but siri has so much magic in her and she's terrified because no one's ever guided her how to use it and that's when you know the importance of yennefer is codified because not only was she the most powerful sorceress she is now going to be training the most powerful magic being on on this realm yeah and i think you and i were talking about magic is a larger theme in the sense that it's kind of in everything. Like yes. we're going to be talking yes. about social media and telephones and, you know, technology, you know, we talk about it as if it's in, and I'm not trying to change the subject. I'm just saying in this story, in ourselves, in this world we're in now, we have a lot of magic that we use. We can use it and it can be used for quote good, or it can be distorted and create monsters. And so, um, you know, Stregobor, is magical. He has the power to cast Geralt or these women in a dark, monstrous light. He also mm-hmm. has the power to reveal them for who they are, but he has been corrupted. So we all have this, this magic. And I love how she calls it a spiked arrow because it's like, mm. it's like amazing and great, but it's like a curse too, you know? And so yeah. you have to treat it with respect. And what happens? But not everyone has magic. Well, right? and, and not everybody world. in this world has magic. Yeah, that's true. But I'm saying metaphorically. And if you think about, yeah, yeah I know I'm taking you so literally right I know, now. I know. I'm thinking metaphorically speaking, but yeah, yeah. Well, 
metaphorically, you and I are obsessed with magic. We are. We are. And the thing that I love about magic when it comes to all different fantasy stories is that there are some fundamental um, aspects that we have to always be aware of. We have to be trained into our understanding of ma- of magic and using magic. It's about balance, right? Yes, it is. That that moment, the training moment in Aratusa where you've got the rock and the flower. Yes. You can't re- levitate the rock with your own magic because yes. you'll be drained. So you channel the magic of life, of the flower. Yeah. So how you utilize, how you use magic is, is a fundamentally universally true thing, which is about balance and what you're pulling from. Right. You have to- and what's really interesting to me about like if we think about magic in our everyday lives, we evoke magic through the rites of passages, through ceremony, through prayer, through ritual, through divination. Mm-hmm. These are all magical tools in our everyday lives. Mm-hmm. And they're sim- mostly symbolic if we think about how we access them, you and I. Mm-hmm. But a part of our hearts believes that there is serious magic out there. There is. Yeah. I've witnessed it, Let's experienced <laughs> it, and used it. I mean, I know that it is. You know, everyone is experiencing it in their own way, whether they realize it or not. And they have it, and they're using it all the time, for good or ill. Mm. And that you know, brings us back to Yennefer again. Mm-hmm. She's single-mindedly after the thing that's taken from her. First, it's her ability to bear a child. Mm-hmm. Then it's then it's her magic. And she gets a little bit stupid trying to re- retrieve her magic. Yeah, it goes you know? to her head a little bit. But it's like also helps keep her sane because it, it gives her control. She's had no control so much of her life. It's like the thing that's, that saved her and gave her some sort of control over things. And so I understand her deep. No. But she had so much magic without the, that typical magic too. You know, compassion. Um, well, that's the thing that restores her magic, right? right? Think, her yeah. her desire to protect Siri right. is the, in that moment when she saves Siri from being totally subsumed by the Baba Yaga character. Yeah. She's restored. Right. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. That The magic of compassion. Oh, God. But, Thank you. No problem. But also, like, I was thinking about, you know, Yennefer, for all of her flaws, is the only one who doesn't succumb to Baba Yaga's trickster ways and knows and sees the writing on the wall. And I think it's because she's always taken the her own path and not succumbed to anyone else's rules that enabled her to see the truth. And I mean, yeah. once again, um, it's how you use it. Whether it's your yeah. intuition, if you want to say intuition is magic, I would say that it is. Um, you know, it goes in many different directions. Yeah. And there, there's so many threads <laughs> to magic, both in this world and in the real one. Mm. And here's something that I that I kept brushing up against every time I would watch it over and over again. Mm. I was realizing that in Sapowski's world, the original bringers of magic or the original body embodiment yes. of magic are the elves. Yes. And we see the story of indigenous people yes. being um the genocide of them mm-hmm. and the the stealing of their magic right for this colonial like um co- you know these humans right. they colonize them yes. they enslave them they steal their magic right and then they enslave them so the aratuza is actually built by the elves and their magic and then they are killed right and the the indigenous beings 
are absolutely hated. Right. And and when I think about my own relationship to indigenous knowledge, I do feel like they're closer to magic. And the, mm-hmm. the closeness is those those rituals and ceremonies and dances and rites of passages, right? Yeah, and the colonizing elements tried to take it instead of understand it. And that distorts it. And then it creates monsters. So it's, you know, whether you want to call, I need you to remind me of the elf queen's name again. Francesca. You know, Francesca is doing what some might say monstrous things, but once again, she's kind of pushed into a corner. She's trying to save her people. You, yeah, she is. So you can't really, we're all kind of too linked and too connected to use something as simplistic as the word monster, in which case, even though we've named part of our section of our podcast monsters, I think they're actually pretty rare and the word doesn't really encompass the truth. Mm. Yeah. And when you corrupt magic, just like you corrupt the balance of masculine and feminine, you corrupt this beautiful thing. It can also become cursed. And as you know, you and I both being from the States, I've always kind of felt like, well, there's so much beauty here. There is a bit of a curse. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of patterns being worked out yep. in this, you know, in your country too, in the country you're in too, in, in New Zealand. I mean, there's all kinds of patterns and stories being worked out and it's painful and it's hard and challenging and it's, I'm here for it. It has to happen, but it's the result of choices that humans mm-hmm. have made. And the same goes for these characters. I know. The indigenous uprising mm-hmm. is a case of our genocidal mm-hmm monstrous behavior yeah so we'll leave it there we'll leave it there (laughs) that's a that's a heavy that's a heavy place to oh it's fantastic i love how dark it is Uh, me too it's this is the witcher this is the world the witcher it's beautiful and dark beautiful and dark and so um yeah i think we'll leave it there um we are so glad you joined us for this we're gonna list some things in our show notes um things about I'm going to link about Baba Yaga and yeah. probably some links for um, indigenous um, information. Um, and we are going to kind of continue on this train of thought around magic. I'm going to say magic and social media. Um, we're going to discuss our relationship with this, um, mm. with this magical way we can connect with everyone around the world. Um, mm. And also hilariously, this whole thing with Twitter and Elon Musk, I mean, it's just kind of couldn't be more perfect. So We're going to be talking about this kind of relatively new development in human connection and communication from the perspective of Ruto and my generation. We were raised without it. We were kind of, we were not born into it. So we invite you to send us your thoughts about this on our Instagram accounts, which is hilarious um, because- So ironic. So ironic. (laughs) So yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Um, And we just like to also say that the music for our podcast entitled Whimsical Aliens was written and performed by Alejandro Bernard from Ithaca, New York. And our podcast is edited and produced by Bjorn here here in Aotearoa. Thank you for your support. And we'll see you next time. See you next time. (laughs) 